0: Hello, readers and writers. I I am Anthony Almana, also known as Professor Grandpa Tonio, the book guy and the writing guy. Welcome to Writers on Writing, my podcast series of conversations with authors. Today, it is my great pleasure to introduce you to a man of many talents. My guest is Matt Forrest Essenwine. He's not only an award-winning children's and adult poet, he's also an award-winning voice artist. I wondered, what does Matt Forrest Essenwine do as a voice artist? Well, here's how he describes his career on his website. I'm quoting here. I have been a voice artist for over 20 years, so you may hear me on the National Hotel Chain's on-hold telephone message, one minute and a local car dealer's television commercial, The Next. I've been in recording studios, on theater stages, and in front of TV cameras as well, and have always managed to leave before security arrived, which I found very (laughs) humorous. (laughs) As a poet, Matt's poems for children and adults have appeared in many books, magazines, and poetry blogs. His own blog, Radio Rhythm and Rhyme, which, by the way, was chosen by Feedspot as one of the top poetry blogs for children, is a treasury overflowing with accessible information about poets, poems, great books, and ideas and techniques to inspire readers and writers. Another source of inspiration is Matt's wit and wordplay his series of brief entertaining videos where he actually teaches different forms of poetry and introduces essential writing skills. All of this information offered with fantastic examples that you'll want to read many times over. Welcome Matt Forrest-Essenwine. I'm so glad you're here
1: today. Wow. Well, th- thank you. Uh, based on, on all, all the, uh... The praise you're you're heaping on me, I was thinking you might have been talking about someone else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm delighted. I, I, I <laughs> dialed into the wrong the wrong chat. <laughs> well, I'm delighted that it's you today. <laughs> I am too. I'm, I'm delighted that I'm delighted to find out that was me you were talking about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and well, I, I mean, as a writer, you know, and and I've been reading a lot of your work, and I think uh, I also consider you to be a teacher of writing, as I see you doing this, um, you know, on your videos. Um, And I think you're also a super sensitive advocate of children's literacy development. I like to put it into that category through writing and reading. So I guess I'm starting off by, you know, wondering, how did you come to know that you wanted to be a poet and a children's poet at that?
1: I don't know if I ever knew I wanted to be a poet. Um, and I, I, I guess I'd have to do some research d- digging around uh, to see if if any poet ever decided they wanted to be a poet. It's kind of like one of those things that y- you're just drawn to, whether you want to be or, or not. Uh, you have these these words inside you, these images, these scenes, these feelings uh, and you just you have to get them out. Um, I've been writing forever. Um, I was always a a, a word nerd. you, you want to know? You want to know how big a, a, a geek I was, as far as the the, the word the word nerdiness of me. Um, you know, I was maybe like nine, ten, eleven years old, and if I was bored, sometimes I would read the dictionary, or I would read the encyclopedia. Uh, I just, you know, I, I, I enjoyed just coming up with stories and, and uh, writing and uh, and voicing skits, like humorous kind of things on my father's Panasonic cassette recorder. I would, uh, I would write, um, you know, poetry when I was uh, in high school. I, I got introduced to formal poetry through my British lit classes and uh, learned about Frost and Edgar Allan Poe and Shakespeare. And I, I, I learned about Iambic Pentameter and I wrote some really horrible, horrible poetry. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I got a, a sense of what it was about and what some of the things that you could do with it. And I, I love the rhythm of, of, uh, of poetry of for, you know, formal verse, rhyming verse, but I also started uh, a bit of an appreciation for free verse. And I think I was a junior in high school. I think I was a junior when I submitted a poem, a free verse poem to the local college's uh, literary magazine and they published it. And so that was my very first published poem. Um, and, I, and I just thought it was kind of cool to, you know, see uh, see your, your poem and your name there in, in a book. And so through college, I, I did a lot of creative writing. I was in, I was in uh, the, the radio, um, you know, the college radio station. I took uh, mass media communications was my degree. So I was on the college radio station. I was on the college newspaper, the college literary magazine, student government, like all kinds of involved things like that. Um, just racking up experiences and, and uh, things that you can you can kind of take with you and, and add to your your writing and your, your poetry and, I, and I've had a number of poems published that are sort of more of the adult leaning kind of uh, poetry you know love and uh, heartache and danger and, and kind of you know deep kind of things but but when you're when you're writing, adult-oriented poetry like that, the best that you can hope for, unless you you sell a, an actual book and you, you publish a, a book and you're, you're a Billy Collins or you're a Maya Angelou or someone like that, um, for for adult-type poetry, the best you can hope for usually is you get your your poems in a, a literary magazine or a, an anthology or journal or something like that, and they give you a hearty attaboy <laughs> a pat on the back and a free copy, and that's it. And I had written a lot of children's poetry, and I just didn't know what to do with it. So finally, around 2009, I started thinking, you know, I, I need to look into maybe children's literature and, and see what I could do with my poetry uh, in that respect. Because with children's poetry, if it's published in highlights or uh, cricket, or uh, anywhere, in uh, one of uh, maybe you know a poetry anthology that comes out. You know, you're getting paid. That that's a career. You you are actually getting paid for everything that you're writing, and I, and I kind of like the idea of getting paid for something that I was doing. And so uh, so I still write uh, some poetry. That's you could say it's for adults, but uh, but I really have been focusing for the last no, last eight years, nine, ten years on uh, on writing for children, poetry and, and picture books for children.
0: Well, uh, that's interesting to me. And I, I, I was wondering, you know, what do you do to take on a child's way of seeing and experience in in order to write a poem that, children, that a child can relate
1: to? Uh, well, you know, I never grew up, so it's not that hard. I I just I really feel like I am a a 10-year-old in a 52-year-old's body or a 50 a 53-year-old's body cuz I just had a, a birthday a couple of weeks ago and I can't even remember how old I am. Um I just I I spent you know when I got out of college uh, I got a job in radio and I was in radio I was uh on the air until I left in 2012. So I'd been on the air for a good 25 years or so um, and i was doing morning shows and I was doing afternoon, what, what they call afternoon drive. Um, I was doing uh, call in request shows, you know, top 40 dance mix shows. I was doing classic rock and nostalgia and talk radio. And like, I, I just was doing all kinds of on-air stuff. Uh, and I was writing an awful lot. I was, I, um, when I left, full-time employment in radio in 2012, I was on air at a radio station, but I was also the production director for the group. And there was eight radio stations that were all part of this one group. And as production director, I was overseeing all the commercial production for all eight radio stations. So I I wasn't necessarily producing all those commercials, but I had to make sure all those commercials that were getting up on, ending up on the air, that they were being produced or that they were, you know, being uh, loaded into the computer and, and they weren't, being missed, you know, that the DJs were playing them properly and on time, and, uh, and I was writing a massive amount of commercials, and I found that it was, it was interesting that, yeah, I didn't realize that spending 20 or 25 years writing commercials was really helping me to hone my poetry skills and, and my children's writing skills, because ultimately, all that sort of creative writing is all very similarly structured. Uh, whether it's a radio commercial, a 30 second commercial, or whether it's a poem or a picture book, uh, a novel, you, you do the same kind of thing with all of those. You, you uh, attract attention, you create interest, you develop, um, you develop the interest, but you develop like, a, there, there usually should be a problem that needs to be solved. You are trying to attract uh, or develop this, uh, D- d- develop the story that you're telling through uh, some sort of emotional connection. Um, and then you, you, you have the problem, you solve the problem, and then there is the conclusion or in, in a commercial, we would call it the call to action, you know, visit 1-800-Flowers or, you know, whatever the, the, the website is or whatever the phone number is. And And so, you know, the structure is all the same, but but you learn word economy when you're in radio, when you're speaking on the air, when you're writing a commercial, because every single word has to count. And I didn't realize again how, how great a skill that was going to be once I transitioned into, uh, into children's writing, where, where, again, every word has to count. That's wonderful. I've never heard anyone talk about the
0: logistics in the way you just did. It's, uh, that amazes me. And it's very inspiring, too, I think, because it means that, that we do have that skill of learning about economy. You know, mm. and, uh, I, 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 that's a wonder. Do you have a copy of, so- of Soccer Sides, right?
1: Uh, I do, actually.
0: Yes. Oh, okay, great, because I was thinking our listeners would love to hear it, because I think that's an example. I mean, from my point of view, that's an example of a poem kids can definitely relate to.
1: Right. So so Soccer Sides comes from uh, this book, Poems Are Teachers, uh, by my friend Amy Ludwig Vanderwater, uh, which was published by um, lo- a local company, actually. They're just about an hour away from me, uh, Heinemann, which is a very well-respected educational uh, publisher. And uh, this book that Amy put together called Poems Are Teachers, How Studying Poetry Strengthens Writing in All Genres. And the, the general premise is that if you can learn, you and your students can learn all the different uh, poetic devices that are out there, all the different things that that poets use in creating poetry. And I'm not just talking about simile and metaphor and, and rhythm and things like that. But we're talking about understanding uh, perspective or uh, point of view. There's a, a section on uh, choosing first person plural. There's a, a section on addressing the reader with the second person. Uh, all these kinds of things that poets can do to bring their poems to life and and strengthen their writing if you can learn things like that perspective and point of view and all these different things then it it strengthens your writing no matter what you're writing this is an example in, in amy's book this is an example of building two sides to compare and contrast and so here's soccer sides offense means head down the field dribble pass try to score goalie block to your shot no sweat follow up and shoot some more Defense means hang out and back. Better keep a watchful eye. Their offense wants the winning goal. Ha, I'd like to see them try. So uh, you know, when, I'm, when I'm teaching uh, poetry, this is one of the examples that I use of, of how to, to, not only to compare and contrast, but the fact that the first stanza has fairly short lines. I mean, there's, there's, there's a rhythm and a rhyme and each line has the same number of, of beats and, and has the same kind of rhythm. But the first stanza, that first offense section has very short sentences. Goalie blocked your shot, question mark. No sweat, exclamation point. Follow up and shoot some more, exclamation point. Uh, Dribble, pass, try to score. You know, short little things like that. And just the fact that I'm using these short little bursts of words creates an energy to the poem. <laughs>
0: well, you know, I, I, you know, you started talking about um, you know, introducing kids to poetic technique or craft or whatever. So when you do your workshops, what are some of the things about poetry that you want kids to take away from you?
1: The one thing that I try to impress upon kids when I'm doing a, a writing workshop or poetry presentation, poetry doesn't have to rhyme, doesn't have to be metrical. The one thing that's the most important for me uh, in teaching the kids is to understand your subject. That's the first thing you do when you start writing a poem is to, you have to pick a subject, but you have to understand the subject. But you ask questions to yourself about the subject. If it's a blue and purple hat, for for the example, say, okay, so what kind of a blue and purple hat is this? Is this a, a brand new blue and purple hat? Or is it kind of hat that your grandfather or, or some, uh, some neighbor would have worn, or is it a brand new one that you just got from uh, going to the beach? Whose hat is it? Why is it here? Where is it? Are you looking at this hat right here in front of you or just holding onto it? Did you find this hat in the woods? There's all kinds of things. You could go on and on and on. Every, every author has to answer the question, why does this book need to be written? Or why does this poem need to be written?
0: Yeah, well, that, that is so powerful, you know, and as uh, myself as a writer, that is that is something to ponder all the time. Thank you so much for that. I really, I, I appreciate that. You know, well, you know, I think a poem that I heard you talking about this poem, Construction, construction Project Manager. Oh, oh from Construction and, and, People, and yes. That's in um, Construction People, poems compiled by the late, great Lee Bennett Hopkins. And I I, I was fascinated by your description of how you you, you arrived at that poem.
1: Lee it was a wonderful, a wonderful fellow. He was so, uh, so supportive of, of all the folks that, that he worked with. And he had asked, because uh, I was in his book, School People, I had written a poem about the bus driver. And so he had asked me if uh, I, I would be, this, the, the follow-up was, the, uh, was Construction People by uh, Word Song, which is part of Boyd's Mills Cane. And uh, so I, I said, you know, I, absolutely, I'd, I'd love to be, uh, you know, a part of the book. So he would send you your uh, your subject. He would tell you, you know, I need a poem about XYZ. I just I wasn't even thinking about classical poetry. I was just kind of thinking, what could I do if I was to structure my poem to look like a skyrise? what what kind of form could i use to make it look like a skyrise? and and i just in an instant i knew a villanelle would be perfect and a villanelle is a classic uh poetic form that is highly structured it has multiple tercets which are stanzas that have three lines uh there's uh i think there's five tercets and then a sixth stanza which is four lines. And there are only two rhymes in the whole thing. So if, if you're wondering what a, a villanelle is, the one that most people seem to, to recognize is do not go darkly into that good night. That's a, that's a villanelle. And so once I realized that the poem needed to be a villanelle, it, it really came together. The villanelle is traditionally about obsession. Uh, if you, if there's something about some sort of obsession, obsessiveness, and, and that's, that is perfect for the construction project manager. Again, so uh, when, when I started uh, putting it together, it really came together nicely. And you'll notice that there are only two rhymes, the I'm sound and the A sound. And there are, are uh, repetitive lines in a, in a villanelle, two of the lines from the first stanza, that first three line stanza, Two of those lines will repeat in alternating stanzas as you go down through the poem. So uh, here's construction project manager. Again, this is from construction people from uh, Word Song, which is part of Boyd's Mills and Kane. I'm watching workers hoist and climb. What worries me the most today? We've got to get this built on time. Deadline set, no overtime. We need to move that mud and clay. I'm watching workers hoist and climb. Every dollar, every dime, I count the bills we need to pay. We've got to get this built on time. Bolts and girders, dust and grime. Pipes were fitted yesterday. I'm watching workers hoist and climb. Hammers sing, ratchets chime. Everything looks a okay We've got to get this built on time. I tap my fingers, hum a rhyme. What makes me happiest today? I'm watching workers hoist and climb. We're going to get this built on time. Not only does it work so beautifully, but
0: it's it's very entertaining. You know what I mean? Because it really you know play plays with the rhyme i mean you're you're moving through this thing and mm-hmm. and it just uh, it exposes so much I, I just love that poem yeah and i think sometimes if you do draw attention to them i mean it, it's kind of serves as a kind of model for for kids to look at the way sound works you yep. know you know etc so i i'm sure i'm sure you're onto that when you do your workshops can you turn your attention to a series that i i like so much which is Today's Little Ditty. Oh, that's a, <laughs> Michelle yeah, that's, Barnes. Yeah, that's a project that I think is so fascinating. And I wondered if you could uh, tell us about it. And also, do you, you've contributed to that series. And I wonder if you could read one of your poems in that series.
1: Sure. Um, so uh, Michelle H. Barnes uh, is a children's poet and, and blogger. And, and she, uh, she has a, an excellent blog called Today's Little Ditty. And so I wrote uh, an epitaph for a mayfly, and so uh, this happened to be published a couple of years ago. Was born for flight and reproduction, set off for a swarm seduction, lost his mate, could not locate her, sadly died a few hours later, and that was it. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it was it was fun to write, and, and you, you would be surprised at how how long it would take to write a short little four line. Thing like that, you know. I, I had the idea what I wanted to write. It was a mayfly. They're only—they're literally only a couple of hours for for their lifespan. Uh, but I wanted it rhyming, and I I wanted an A B A B rhyme scheme where the first and third line rhymes, and the second and fourth line rhymes. And that's that's a lot harder than than other rhyme schemes. Uh, and I also wanted a little bit of alliteration. The swarm seduction. Um, <laughs> You know, lost his mate, could not locate her, sadly died a few hours later. That, that's a, that's a I, I kick my, I'm my own worst critic, but I love that little rhyme. And uh, and, and Jane liked it as well. I, I'm, I'm friends with Jane. And so she had, uh, when, when Michelle posted that on her website, Jane replied uh, how much she, she loved it. She thought that was a wonderful, a wonderful epitaph uh, poem. So she responded to mine. And Jane Yolen said, "Life and death in one short day, the dying of love, the sweetest way." Also, what I'd
0: like to do is to have you talk a little bit about Radio Rhythm and Rhyme. I mean, it, to me, it's a treasure trove for readers and writers and seekers and searchers looking for all kinds of books, blogs, information about authors and poets. So, what will folks find when they go to Radio Rhythm
1: and Rhyme? Your blog. On my blog, there's children's poetry that's rhyming. There's children's poetry that's free verse and and non-metrical. There's adult poetry. There's haiku. I have an interview with Pat Lewis on there and Douglas Florian and Nikki Grimes, Margarita Engel, and and so many others. I did an interview with David Harrison back in, uh, I think it was early spring, late winter, early spring of 2020. I think that's the most recent interview that I've done. And while we're kind of doing the interview, an idea pops in my head for a poetry collection. Because of the subject of this poetry collection, I thought having a co-author would be, would be great. And so I asked David if he, would, uh, if he was interested in, in working on this. He said, oh, sure. So, so we finished up the interview, and, and then we start working on this poetry collection together. So now it's done, and we're, we're submitting it.
0: Well, it's very active, and I mean, you. you it, as I would tell people that are listening to us, that if if you go there, you'll spend. You can spend hours searching, you know, and and, and it's a it's a very exciting place to go. I feel the same way about wit and wordplay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, that's a series of videos uh, you offer parents, educators, and their kids on your on your blog. Um, uh, can you tell us, you know, what what were you after there?
1: Yeah, well, I, I I came up with the idea just because I was trying to to offer something for for parents and and teachers and educators and, and kids, uh, for this whole the whole COVID nineteen thing when schools shut down in uh, March of twenty twenty, and everybody and their brother who was involved with children's lit was was doing something. You know, Mo Willems was offering. Uh, drawing lessons, and uh, my friend Josh Funk was doing uh, Facebook and Instagram uh, read-alouds every Saturday morning, and like, everybody was doing something. And so I was trying to think of something that I could offer that wasn't just a read-aloud. So I thought, well, let's do some, some short videos on poetry, which is what I do best, and you know, it, certainly kids can glean something from it, but I really wanted to to gear it to parents and and teachers to help them teach the kids because you know the kids are going to be reading the poetry or learning it, and if I can try to help the teachers out and, and help the parents out, uh, the kids will be benefited that way. So I wanted to keep it short. You know, they're all five. You know, a couple of might be six minutes, but they're all they're all pretty much a five minutes ish long. And I, I just take a different aspect of poetry and, and, and chat about it. And I give a couple of examples using, using my poetry. I'd like to go to um, Flashlight Night. Oh,
0: that's uh, To our listeners, that's your picture book, imaginatively illustrated with Kohler's digi- digitally colored pencil drawings. Yep. That book was selected by the New York Public Library as one of the 100 best books for kids in 2017. Yes. And and the thing that I, I'm asking you to do because I, I tuned into that so so completely was the, the relationship with these three kids. Mm-hmm. You know, and what and what you
1: can tell us about that as you were as you were composing this. This book is really a perfect synthesis of text and illustration. Fred Taylor is, is, is an amazing illustrator. But I say it's the perfect synthesis, not because of anything that I did or what Fred did, but because of our editor at Boyd's Mills and Kane, uh, Rebecca Davis. Rebecca really had a a leadership role in Mm -hmm. juggling what I had written with what Fred's vision for illustrations was. Now, Fred came up with the idea that um, the adventure that these three kids are on It happens at night. Um, But his his idea was that the adventure was going to take place within the beam of the flashlight. So everything that's not lit up by the flashlight, when you're reading the book, everything outside the flashlight is just normal, boring reality. What is happening within the beam of the flashlight, that's where our story takes place. The deck is just a deck, but in the beam of a flashlight, it becomes an Egyptian tomb. The pool Becomes an ocean. The round floaty donut in the pool becomes a dinghy, um, and then there's a, a ship, and the, the tree. They're they in a treehouse, and the tree is a giant squid. You know, the mighty kraken. Um, so, and and there's myriad examples of this throughout the book, where everything is much bigger or, or much more fantastic than it seems. The only illustrative note that I gave Rebecca when I wrote the manuscript was at the very end. I said, a child or children are reading books by flashlight. That's all I said, and, and I, I had to say that because it, otherwise the, the story really wouldn't make sense. At the end, the three children are reading books by flashlight, oh, okay, so now, now all that makes sense. So that was, that was what my, my vision was, that was the story. They're just three kids. There are no names involved, um, and, and I tell the kids uh, and adults, again, when I'm giving presentations, I wrote this manuscript without any names. Everything is told from the point of view of the flashlight. The story is actually told in second person. You could say it's told from the point of view of the flashlight. It's actually a second person story, which I, I don't think there's a whole lot of them out there you know, for, for children's stories. certainly aren't a whole lot of, of adult books written in second person. So second person is when the reader is the person who is taking part in the story. And it's the reader, well, you did this, and then you decided um, you might want to take a car ride somewhere. Uh, I had to change my manuscript, not just through, through normal revision process that the editor goes through, but I had to make some changes to the manuscript to better reflect what Fred was doing with his illustrations and fred had to uh, there were a couple of times when he had to kind of reel in uh what where he was going with his adventure to better match what i was doing with with my narrative so and, and rebecca was in the middle of it she was the one who was balancing what i what my vision was with fred's vision so right. um she, she did an excellent job and um and i i couldn't be more proud of of the book
0: well, well i think that's really important for people to hear because Whenever I'm working with children's books and talking about, illust- everybody says, well, th- they're very surprised. Let me put it this way. They're very surprised that most of the time, writer and illustrator never meet. All right. Yeah. You know, and they keep you far away, you know. Yes. And, and that's been my experience with picture books that I've done. But um, now the last one I did, I worked exclusively with an illustrator. And mm-hmm. it was a fantastic experience nice. because it was just idea after idea, feeding off, feeding off, you know, and then looking for different ways of doing th- it. It was a magnificent experience. So I, I think it's, uh, it's really good for people to hear this, especially those who wanna go into publishing for children. It's an experience. Yeah, you,
1: you have no idea who the editor is going to want to, to team you up with. And, and, and very often, you have absolutely no interaction at all. Now, Fred and I did, we didn't have interaction regarding how the book was coming together. Um, but Rebecca would share some of uh, Fred's uh, sketches and some of his, his fully, you know, detailed Fred's. And she'd ask me what I thought of them. And, and yeah, I would tell her, you know, and sometimes she agreed with me. Sometimes she didn't. And that's fine. She's the editor. Exactly. And you know, I'm, that was, gonna, that was my next point
0: was, um, uh, can you talk to us about don't ask a dinosaur knowing how kids adore dinosaurs, <laughs> lore and pictures, et etc, et etc I mean I thought that so every page in that book is wildly dramatic, you know, and uh, it's bold it's big. dinosaur lovers need to hear how the book combines dinosaur facts with a great glossary by the way, and dinosaur fun on every vibrant vibrant page
1: oh thank you, I appreciate the the kind words. It was a, a book that that came about initially from my co-author, Deb. She had written a picture book manuscript about animals trying to put on a birthday party and, and failing because uh, the porcupine was popping the balloons and the fox <laughs> was doing something. Um, and she, she pitched it to a couple of places, but really didn't get a whole lot of response. And she, had, she has an agent and the agent just didn't think it was strong enough. Um, so Deb was trying to figure out a way to, to revise it. And so she shelved it and said, well, maybe I can do something with dinosaurs because kids love dinosaurs. So she wrote two or three lines, maybe four lines of, of her idea. And we were part of the same uh, SEBWI critique group at the time. And so uh, she, she gave me what, what she had written. Uh, and I set, I set her note down next to my computer and I looked at it almost every day. And I would think about it and nothing would come to me. After a couple of months, I sat down and an idea came to mind about how we could flesh this out as a as a manuscript and so I, I i worked up the the first rough draft sent it off to her she she liked it she sent back a few changes of her own back and forth and back and forth 20 revisions later mm-hmm. we had uh, a manuscript that we we started subbing and, and a lot of the changes were just adding and subtracting dinosaurs but when you do that, the lines have to be rhythmical. You know, there, there is a rhythm to these, these books. And so if you take, out a, you take out a word like microraptor that has three syllables and you replace it with styracosaurus, it, you're going to have some problems. <laughs> you know, there, there's a rhythm that you have just totally upset. Um, so you have to rewrite whatever lines you're working with.
0: Wow. Wow. What a history with that. I, I, I mean, once again, I, 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 it was so entertaining, you know, and I just saw myself, you know, reading this uh, to kids, you know, out, I mean, to get, get it out loud. The, the yeah. rhythm is there. It's, it's fun. It's just uh, an entertaining
1: book. The book would not exist the way it is if it wasn't for my son, who was seven years old at the time. So it was around September, August or September of 2017, which was actually the time the Flashlight Night was coming out. About that same time, we got the PDF proof for Don't Ask a Dinosaur. And the editor had sent it to me, and she said, you know, it looks great. The illustrators looked at it. Everybody at the publishing companies looked at it. This This is ready to go. We just wanted to share it with you so you could look it over. If there's anything you see that's a concern, you know, let us know. And so I looked at it. My co-author Deb had looked at it. We all thought it looked great. I said, "Hang on, let me let me get my seven-year-old son to look at it because he's the target demo, as they say. He, he loves dinosaurs. He's seven. He's uh, he's learning to read. Um, let me have him take a look at it and see what he thinks." He found two mistakes oh. that none of the grown-ups in this this whole this whole operation none of us noticed, and they were very obvious too. But, you know, when you are looking at something over and over and over again, your eyes and your brain just start to fog up. There's this haze that kind of comes over. And and when he pointed the mistakes out, they were so very obvious. Great story. Wonderful. I, I'm um,
0: and, All right. So then speaking of your books, I'm happy to report that Once Upon Another Time, oh, yes. a picture book of, of and I said poems, and you corrected me about that. I just assumed poetry, but why don't you explain to us what actually we'll find there when it does come out in uh,
1: 2021? Yeah, well, it was, it's, a, it's a very poetically written book, mm-hmm. um, probably even more so than Flashlight Night. I mean, I used a lot of poetic devices, and this started off very poetically because it started off with a few lines from Charles Guignet, uh, known as Father Goose, and and Charles and I have known each other for a number of years online. We've never had a chance to meet in person, but uh, he had written these uh, three or four short little poetic stanzas that uh, he thought he thought were for a picture book, but he didn't know quite what to do with them. And he had posted them on his blog and said, uh, "Anyone have any ideas as to what to do? You know, let me know." So I emailed him uh, and I said. Uh, you know, I'd love to be able to uh, help you out on that, you know, work with you. You know, if you I'm sure you've got, you know, plenty of folks who've lined up, you know, to be able to work with Father Goose. And he said, Matt, he said, I I had no idea what kind of can of worms I was opening. He said, You know, so many people have responded. Um, he said, I'm working on a couple of other projects right now. I I I can't even begin to work on that. But he said, So many people have, have responded. Um, I'm just putting it on hold for now. But he said, thank you. So about a year or a year and a half later, I'm going through my, um, some of my emails. And somehow, I, I, I stumbled upon this, this email exchange that we had had uh, that I, I had saved. And I had forgotten all about it. I, so I emailed him back. and said, hey, anything ever happened with, with those lines you had written? He said, oh, no. He said, I had to- <laughs> he had totally forgotten about it. He said, no. He said, yeah, here. He said, uh, let me send them to you and you know, see what you think. So I, I, th- I spent some time, about a week or so, a week or two, kind of thinking about what we could do with, with what he had started off with. So I wrote another four stanzas. You know, it, it was going to be a picture book, but they're, it's very poetic. So I wrote four more little stanzas to kind of follow what he had started. We submitted that manuscript to at least 25 different places. And Naomi Kruger at uh, uh, at uh, Beaming Books said uh, she wanted to, to purchase it. So you, you gotta hang in there, folks, you know? And so it's a very poetically written book about nature, but it, it's more than just a book about nature. It's taking a look back in time to when the world was was fresh and new, and the rivers were clear and blue, and the grass was green, and the birds were flying through the air, and it was, it was long before the, uh, the smoggy sun that we have uh, before the internet and uh, you know, back when, when the webs were spider-spun, as we say, you know, back when the world was new, this, this is what, what it was like. And, and you can still experience that if you get outside and, uh, and find, a, find a tree, just look up in the sky. You, know, you, you don't have to be necessarily in the woods. You can still be living in the city to, to kind of catch a glimpse of what the world was like. You know, one of the lines we say is, you know, feel the wind upon your skin. Imagine where that wind has been. Mm. We're just trying to get kids to kind of realize that and think about that. So it was a very, uh, very wonderful project we've uh, had the pleasure of working on. It's coming out a month in advance of, of Earth Day and it's a perfect book for, for Earth Day. So, and a perfect book to come out in the springtime. So it'll be, uh, we're, we're perfectly happy with it getting pushed out until March. Oh, wonderful. Well, good luck with
0: that. I, I'm I'm watching you, I'm sitting here, I'm thinking we could go on for a couple of hours. <laughs> we can't, you know, I mean, it's just, it's such a joy to talk to you. And- um,
1: Well, I, I appreciate you also, reaching out to me. It's been, been a joy chatting with you.
0: But also just the idea that- uh, your inspiration to me as a writer is also very helpful. I'm oh, thinking about the persistence of it. And the piece I'm working on right now went through my writers group and they approved it. And then I went and I started reading it and I thought, oh no, <laughs> you know, so I mean, it's like, you know, that happens so often, you know, you just think it's done, it's done. No, it's not, you know, so. I, well, can we end with a reading of A Visit to the Forest from sure. one minute till bedtime 60-second poems to send you off to sleep, a book that I, I sent to one of my my great nieces and great nephew.
1: Little squirrel climbs a tree, stops to chew and chatter. Cousin chipmunk runs away, his feet go pitter-patter. Bees are buzzing, flitting over boysenberry flowers. Garter snake goes sneaking under tiny toadstool towers. Ants are marching over pebbles, working with no worries sparrow sings and blue jay squawks a tiny rabbit scurries watching all this hustle bustle nearly makes me dizzy i heard this was a pretty place but never knew how busy so we we get into the uh the whole aspect of the the uh the internal rhyme the chew and chatter chipmunk and the pitter patter and the bees buzzing flitting over flowers and their are boysenberry so the bees are buzzing boysenberry Uh, garter snake goes sneaking under tiny toadstool towers that that repetition and sound is just all over the place
0: well i mean i think that the sound fits the fits the topic the sound fits the form the sound you know what i mean those they work together you know and that that's that's something that people have to learn um you know with their writing i i I, as i end i want to tell everybody first of all i want to say thank you to you for taking your time oh thank you (laughs) Appreciate it. But I want to point out that um, listeners, please go to Matt Forrest S and wine's website. That's M a T T yep. forest is F O R R E S T. Yep. Dot com. Matt Right. And you also talk about library and school visits either virtually or in person. Yep. You'll also want to spend some time exploring reading and writing treats on his blog
1: radio rhythm and rhyme instead of Mattforest.com it's just Mattforest.wordpress.com right.
0: well matt thank you so much for spending time oh, you're welcome thanks so much we'll we'll talk to you soon thank you so i much. appreciate
1: it Bye.